What did we just watch, Amy? We just watched Johnny Mnemonic. We are following our Keanu Reeves theme of the previous weekend and this weekend, so look out. Next weekend might be some other... Point Break? Keanu Reeves film. And these are our first impressions. We're going to share spoilers, although it's like 30 years old, so... It's... uh, Ninety-four? Ninety-five. Okay, yeah. I guess... Yeah, ninety-five, so not quite thirty. Twenty-six years old. Twenty-seven. It's it's close to thirty years old, which is surprising. Yeah. Also, it takes place in 2021. Yeah. So we're past the time when the events of Johnny Mnemonic have actually happened. Uh Uh-huh. So now it's just history, and you can't spoil history. That's right. What year did Blade Runner take place? Do you remember? It was 2021 or 2022. Like, it was earlier. What was the sequel to Blade Runner called? 2042. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just trying. Okay. So, the original Blade Runner, Blade Runner must have taken place 2019. Before. 2019. Okay. It was Blade Runner. Okay. okay. All right. So, it is just so this is the... Uh, pre-Blade Runner, post-Blade Runner. <laughs> Which is, I would argue, thematically appropriate, since it is also a cyberpunky. Yeah, it's it's uh, like pulling from Blade Runner. I feel like yeah, that? a little bit. Well, it's apparently yeah. based on a William Gibson story. Did he write Blade Runner? No, Philip K. Dick wrote Blade Runner. Well, okay. Philip K. Dick wrote Android Stream, Electric Sheep, and then but. William Gibson wrote Neuromancer, which is considered by many to be like the seminal cyberpunk novel. Mm. Um, So we were waiting on the microphone to work, and so I read through much of the Wikipedia article. Oh, good. And it was very interesting to see the reviews and how it was... The directors wanted it versus how the studio cut it. Yeah. And how the, um, because I was watching it and I was thinking it's very in like the 80s, 90s action, like sci fi aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And it was bad. <laughs> well, the aesthetics were bad or the well, movie was bad? Well, I mean, like, like the special effects don't age well. They're kind of no, goofy. They're very goofy. Again, as we talked about in Constantine, Keanu Reeves is so stiff <laughs> as an actor. And it kind of comes across as funny sometimes uh-huh. in this film. I think unintentionally. Um, and so I was thinking this was more of a cult classic than perhaps it is. It's not on Blade Runner. Oh, no, it's not on Blade Runner level of status of, of, like, love by, like, Blade Runner people hold up as, like, this is my favorite science fiction movie of all time. No one's doing that with Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, But I thoroughly enjoy Johnny Mnemonic. I think you have more patience for kind of the goofy Oh, absolutely, I have more patience for the goofy. I have trouble with, like... The way that they imagined technology in the future was so based on the technology they had in oh, the yeah. 80s and 90s. And so it just reads as goofy to me. They had a fax machine. They were faxing the computer ciphers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't, um, like, imagine forward 
mm-hmm. um, what what technology would look like. So, I mean, the basic premise of the film is that you have these human couriers, basically, like, with uh, hard drives in their, in their brain. brain that are storage, and they plug into computers, yeah. data, yeah. and, and upload they... data into their minds, and then deliver it. Yeah. And... It's wetware. He um, uploads some data. It's like he has like a hundred and sixty gig limit, and they upload a three hundred and twenty. So there's, which means it's gonna like kill him. And so there's that tension that his his life synaptic seepage (laughs) danger, but also it's like valuable data that all the bad guys, the yakuza, have been hired to. Track down. down the data, which is an interesting choice of like global crime syndicates to be. Well, um, it's yeah, the ones track- Well, the ones tracking down this data. Yeah, it, not just like generalized bad guys, but specifically the Yakuza, not and not a mob or mafia mm-hmm. from other well countries. There is, and this is true in Blade Runner. If we're comparing it to that. But it's true of cyberpunk in the 90s and the 80s as a reflection of the fears of that moment as well. Mm-hmm. And all of the fears, all of the, um, I'll just say, all of the racism of the 80s and 90s was very much pointed at Japan and China and the Orientalism of, like, we're going to no longer be a superpower the U.S. because they're beating us on all these things from computers to trucks. Yeah. Um, which flat out was racist. Like, I, I don't want to bug, you know, buff, bush around the bush, beat around the bush on the racism of it. Um, and that is certainly apparent here where the Yakuza become the like go-to global crime syndicate um, that felt very much a piece of that and reflective of those fears and themes. I mean, you see the same thing even, I mean, Blade Runner has some of it too, but even like Back to the Future Part 2, which is set in the distant future of 2015, has... Like the company Marty McFly, adult Marty McFly works for, has been taken over by a Japanese conglomerate, and his boss is like a stereotype. Like even wearing everyone in, in the future and back of the future, she wears two ties. It's just the fashion, mm-hmm. um, and he's got two ties that make the like Japanese Rising Sun logo. Yeah. Um, and he speaks with a thick accent. Like it's just it's all over movies depicting the future of this period. Um, which isn't great. <laughs> That's interesting. Because I was also thinking of from a visual standpoint the Yakuza, Yakuza where's the emphasis? I thought in Japanese the emphasis is usually on the second syllable. Like Spanish. I often say Yakuza, but I think it is Yakuza. Yakuza. Yeah. 
Things we should look up before we start the podcast. Yep. Pronunciations. Yeah. Uh, because they're visual, because of all the tattoos. At least what I have gleaned from TV mm-hmm. and film. Of depictions of the Yakuza. Yes. And so, I don't know, it like fits into some sort of visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an interesting all. thought that hadn't occurred to me. I was thinking a lot about the tattoos of the Lotex. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I assume were tattoos. I assume they weren't makeup and getting up every morning and applying and lines and, lines shapes, and, and shapes. And that felt like a tattoo move. I didn't think about that as a tattoo. I mean, the idea of Ice-T getting up every morning and applying a thick black line across his face, I love. (laughs) That's great. I love it. Um, But I think I would read that as a tattoo in the text. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so it was... uh, It was uh, was uh, not a great film for Amy. (laughs) Okay, well, let me say for our listeners at home... (laughs) I am very biased about older films. Yes. And it does not mean they are of lesser quality. <laughs> I understand that they're good that a lot of these films are good quality. Mm-hmm. They're held up in film studies and mm-hmm. like film aficionados. Um so but I am biased against them. Uh-huh. And that's just... You don't like the way they look. I don't like the way they look. I don't like some older acting styles, mm-hmm. which are less than, like, a naturalistic um, acting mm-hmm. style. Um, yep. That's... So... Uh... I'm not saying I was going in expecting to not like it. Just thought it was goofy. I didn't mind watching it. Like I had a good time, hour and a half yeah. watching it. Um, but it was a bit goofy, and it oh, it felt, was thoroughly goofy. It felt to me like a bad film. Uh, yeah, um, I can see that. Like I still enjoyed watching it, but I like. It wasn't going to be held up the way that Blade Runner. No, well, it is funny to think about um, the trajectory of Keanu's career because this was this was made post Speed, Speed, which was his. I don't. I hesitate to say his big breakout role. He had had a lot of other significant roles before that as well, but was the most recent big role of his. Um. And it was also four years before The Matrix. Yeah, and you can definitely see, like, hints of The Matrix and Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, The Matrix pulls from a variety of sources as well in its, in its world building and things like that. And it, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it, it can do that, and it does very well. Um, what's funny to me is I watched The Matrix not too long ago. Uh, within the last year or so. And its special effects don't hold up super well. <laughs> I would totally believe it. <laughs> Which is funny to me just how impressive and amazing they were at the time. Yeah. Um, and so how much my brain has been rewritten about what good special effects look mm-hmm. like. That being said, I don't think the special effects, the CGI of Johnny Mnemonic, was that great in 
Not great, even for the time. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I was reading an interview with the director. This is his only movie. Interesting. Um, he is an artist. Um, he does photography and drawing and some sculpture work, and made one movie. Johnny Mnemonic. Um, and he was talking about it at roughly the 25-year anniversary, so a couple of years ago, and how um, his, his focus was on making an aesthetic film mm-hmm. and working from a good script that was, at least in the early drafts, penned by William Gibson, author of the same story that this was based on, um, but it was like too much of the Hollywood stuff got in the way. Mm-hmm. And the movie was not meant to be a blockbuster, um, but the studio's like planned summer tentpole film fell through, and so they had to squish this out instead. Um, and so they threw a bunch of extra money at it, which didn't make it a better movie. Mm-hmm. Which I think is interesting, because it feels... Like if because I I have had this movie in my brain probably since 1995, seeing ads for it on TV or in theaters, um, it's always been in the back of my brain as like sci-fi computer movie. Um, if it hadn't been sold to me as that, but as a lower tech like not necessarily indie movie, but you know a, a two million dollar movie mm-hmm. instead of a thirty million dollar movie. I don't know what the actual budget was. Like an A twenty four. Like an A twenty four. I think that I could be more accepting of some of the aesthetics of it, if that makes sense. Um, it, I'm looking at Wikipedia. The actual budget was twenty six million. So, yeah, an A twenty four, or even like a Bloomhouse. Hmm. Um, those sorts of like low tier low tier budget not like necessarily cheap or badly made Um, I I think the film had a lot of potential mm -hmm. which made me wonder what like a remake might a reboot or remake might look like yeah I I, it is it's interesting it's so much of it's time like I don't feel like doing a remake would be of any service no I'm not advocating no yeah I was just wondering interesting thought well did you know I may have told you this um, the reason it was on my mind recently is because they just released a blu-ray of the film in black and white why well that's a good question and it gets into some of the um, aesthetic stuff we're talking about the director had originally like before production had even started wanted to shoot it in black and white to give it um he he was speaking to like uh, la jete and a couple other like french new wave science fiction films that he wanted this to be in conversation with um and he's like that was never going to happen like the studio didn't want that to happen so as a lark he ripped the footage and from his Blu-ray copy of the movie and just, like, dropped all the color out of the filter as a filter and really liked the way it worked. 
worked. He said it changed the film. It made it feel lower budget. The way he said it is it it, it cut a million dollars off the budget right off the top. <laughs> and allowed it to overlook some of those. But he liked it so much and sent it to a friend of his that they actually went to the studio and got the original master and were able to fully regrade the film rather than just throwing a black and white filter on it. Um, which I think is fascinating from the standpoint of like well what do you what what does that do to a film what is it because it is a bright poppy movie i think in a lot of ways particularly in like the cgi scenes which have i mean i wouldn't call it it's very like noir it's all yeah, at night it is it is um, all at night yeah so it's like it's not dark. like day glow no it's it's the CGI looks like every 1995 CGI ever. <laughs> well, I get worried when directors come back and throw a black and white mm -hmm. like, edit. Zack Snyder, I'm looking at you. <laughs> what others have done it. Yeah, well, I, I have a running log of them I keep in my head because I'm always fascinated by the decision. Um, Logan has one. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road has one. The Mist has one. Um, Johnny Mnemonic, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder putting a black and white filter on his movie was never going to be a good choice because Zack Snyder's a terrible filmmaker. <laughs> um, but I am I am fascinated by the directors who do do that. Um, so that's what made me think about Johnny Mnemonic and even put it on our list. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've never seen it. So it is it is absolutely hokey and goofy in lots of fun ways that I really enjoy for what it is. Yeah, I I liked um, I think one of my favorite technology uses was when he was using the gloves to like... I loved the gloves! <laughs> interact with the internet. Yeah. Um, I, I just liked that um, I liked imagining Keanu Reeves, like, not knowing what it was going to look like, and he's just moving his hands yeah! around um, in, a, in a choreographed kind of way. I to love that. Match. Um, I like that imagining of future mm -hmm. technology, because mm -hmm. it's certainly not something we have, but it doesn't feel um, grounded in <laughs> the 80s and 90s technology. Yeah. Um, uh, the constant like feeling like he's putting on the VR headset mm -hmm. and that's what VR headsets look like yeah today. they look goofy today yeah that's what <laughs> they look like um, that that comes in several times yeah um, the like using three random images off of a TV as the, as the decrypting yeah. Yeah, code for it is bizarre bonkers <laughs> Like, um, way to decrypt, yeah. Um, data. Uh, I liked that Henry Rollins was in it. I don't know who he, he is. played. The oh, Henry Rollins is one of the lead singers of Black Flag over the years. Uh, he was not the first one, heavy metal sort of guy, but also then like made a career of being like a monologist like just going on stage and telling stories about his life um, while still being a very like hard rock 
punk metal sort of guy. Um, it's always funny to see him pop up. He played the uh, the shaved head guy with the glasses who was friends with the security guard. Spider? Spider, yes. The doctor? The doctor. He played Spider, the doctor. Um, I thought it was funny to see him pop up. And also in a shot, you could see his black flag tattoo on the back of his neck. <laughs> Wasn't super in focus, but it was one of those shot reverse shot, like over the shoulder things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's, that is definitely his black flag tattoo. <laughs> Which I thought was great. Uh, the cast as a whole was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Dolph Lundgren in it. Uh, you know, most famous for Rocky IV. You recognize the name. Wikipedia yeah. tells me that was a studio choice. They're like shoehorned. I him believe in, it. And I so hundred percent believe it <laughs> for him. Um. Ice-T as the head of the Lotex. I mean, Ice-T, I'm not sure he's aged so much. No. Like, he really looks... He looks about the same. Um, I'm sure if we did a side-by-side, yeah. we could tell the difference. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Um... I, I realized Ice-T was in this movie before we saw him on screen... When he broke into one of the TV channels, I was like, I was like, that's Ice T. Ice T just called me a zombie. Uh, I thought the so there's this disease, worldwide disease called NAS. Yeah, neuroautonomic syndrome or something like that. Technology words, (laughs) Uh, which has to do with the data that's inside of. Shining Demonic's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's caused by like electromagnetic yeah. waves from all technology. And that is very much a fear in like the wellness culture. Oh, yeah. It, today is electromagnetic it waves. It absolutely is. Um, damaging your brain. So I thought that that was an interesting yeah. intersection. Uh, I loved the dolphin. Oh, I wondered when we were going to get to the dolphin. <laughs> We were listing things we liked. That was the most bonkers bananas. <laughs> Their code breaker. The whole is a dolphin film. with a bunch of cybernetic stuff attached to him, who also sends infrasound uh, through radar dishes, which can kill you. Yeah, they murdered a guy. With they the- murdered another amazing guy, which was the preacher. <laughs> Who, that was the Dolph Lundgren character. Mm -hmm. Um, His character was amazing, too. The way that they could deliver lines about the dolphins, too, without cracking up. (laughs) Just. (laughs) It was so ridiculous. The dolphin's going to decrypt the data. Yeah, but you have to loop it through its brain first. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. It's in a little tiny tank. I, I felt bad for the dolphin in the tiny tank. I, I assume it was like a puppet dolphin. Yeah, it wasn't a real dolphin. Um, and it was created by the Navy for 
I don't know, submarine warfare or something. Yeah, it was it was gonna fight subs using using dolphin powers. Um, yeah, so Johnny Muck's brain is kind of hooked up to the computer and the dolphin. Yeah, and the dolphin helps him decrypt the data and get the it out of his brain. In it's bizarre. Yeah, another thing I loved, um, I was I was struggling with this movie's conception of how much data is. Like how big is a is a data? One data, please. Because um, his his neural brain thing had a, a maximum rated storage of one hundred and sixty gigabytes. And he put almost twice that, or yeah. exactly twice that, three hundred and twenty. Yeah. Um, and we don't we we intentionally don't. I think it was intentional. We don't get a lot of like explanation of how the brain storage works. It's clear that like it's rewiring part of his brain rather than strictly being just like a thumb drive stuck in his head. Because um, he had to give up some of his memory, but he could theoretically get it back if he took out, not just remove the implant, but like reintegrated that part of his brain. Um, but 360 gigabytes is not, it is neither a too large nor too small amount of data. Like, neither one makes sense in the context of the movie. <laughs> I, I was like, is it supposed to be like an unbelievably large amount? Because here in the year after John Mnemonic, 2022, like it's it's a kind of big amount of data, but... I mean, it's more than my computer will hold. Yeah. I have a Mac. But I also just had a friend send me a... Tetrabyte. Terabyte. Terabyte. Because she just didn't need the hard drive anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and the the supposed contents of the data... I couldn't imagine taking up 360 gigabytes um, when it turns out like it's the cure for the NAS neuroautolese mm-hmm. syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I was just thinking about that the whole movie. Well, also it appeared that all that data also fit on a on single disc. A single mini CD. <laughs> Which brings up, like, also the question of why couldn't you just hire someone to take that little CD <laughs> across the ocean? Why it has to be hardwired into their The best brain? answer I can give you is because when he was traveling and going through customs, they scanned him for any data. And he had the brain implant. It's like, oh, you have a brain implant. Oh, you have the, the appropriate paperwork that makes that accessible. Whereas if he had a CD, they might be forced to reveal the contents of it. A thing that actually does happen at border crossings today is um, Border Patrol will seize your computer and force you to open it if they so desire Mm -hmm. and share any data on it. So, like, that's the answer I would give. Does it make a lot of sense? No. They also seem to have wireless transmission of various sorts. Like, like it would be hard to email 360 yeah, gigs. Like that's you a can't, lot. You can't email that much data. You have to put it in a cloud. Yeah. To, to and it, it takes a while to upload and download. But you've also got with, like, 
gigabit internet speeds, like you're talking 20 minutes from A to B, um, as opposed to flying something. So that's, that was my thought. Like, if it was supposed to be an unbelievably large amount where transmitting it would be inaccessible, it wasn't big enough for that. Um, but it also was too large to hold what I imagine to be, like, some Word documents. <laughs> that's all I could think about yeah. with the, the oddly odd amount of 320 gigabytes. I did like that the cover for his um, implant in his brain was a dyslexia prosthetic. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, that, that would be a cool thing to, like, have and mm-hmm. to imagine into existence. Yeah. I agree. I will say, I don't think... I think a lot of times cyberpunk movies, stories, things, try to raise or answer interesting questions about technology and like what it does to us and how it's used and the fears around any of that. This movie had none of that. <laughs> none whatsoever. Well, and it, there was no like also commentary on enhancements to bodies. Yeah. Like none, of, none of that. Yeah. None. No question of like, is it ethical and, how does it affect your humanity? Yeah. And yeah, the closest thing we get to commentary at all in the movie is, I think, when Keanu Reeves goes on his rant about how he wants room service. That was cracked me up. I thought it was, it was great. Example of Keanu Reeves being so goofy in this movie without meaning to. Fair. He just screams out, I want room service! <laughs> in the middle of this, you know, tense situation. Yeah. Like they're trying to get this stuff out of his... Out of his brain. Out of his brain. Yeah. Uh, I liked I liked the whole, like, setup of the resistance on the bridge. I thought that was neat. Although they, they were called low-techs, and I couldn't quite figure out... <laughs> what that meant. They no. used, like, crossbows and bows and arrows instead of guns. guns. But they also had the dolphin. <laughs> the cybernetic dolphin, dolphin. And they would broadcast things in t- and interrupt, um, like, TV yeah. signals. Because they didn't like. have... Because their, their point of view or purpose was also very unclear. Like much of the movie... <laughs> not trying to say anything or if it was trying to say something it didn't succeed uh yeah no that the their goals and methods didn't quite align what does low tech mean like no technology it's low tech less technology (laughs) uh can't let technology ruin our lives are you allowed to have mech added will you be shunned from the community if you yeah, well, and if you if we now can cure this technology induced sickness, is is it okay to have lots of technology? Are they just against it because it's hurting people? But also, like, I, I'm just going back to the bows and arrows. Is using a gun <laughs> that high tech of a well? They had future weapons. They had very futury looking guns. 
That one guy had the laser thing in his thumb. Uh, well, that the was laser not a- whip. <laughs> that was a creative weapon. I loved the laser whip. Um, I also love that it was on like attached to a ring on his finger with like a really long. It looked like a nail, but it was part yeah. of the the ring, and you you pull it out from your thumb. From your thumb. Like one of those ID tags. Yes! That's exactly what it was like. One of those retractable ID tags. But in this case, it was a laser whip. And you could cut through anything. Anything and everything. And, that was... It's good stuff. I, I leaned into the goofy. That's fair. I think you have to watch a movie and lean into the goofy. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to watch this movie and lean into the goofy. Otherwise, you will not enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have much else to say. Do you have much else to say? Uh, that covered the highlights for me, I believe. Yeah, it was... It was a fun, goofy movie. I would watch it again. You want to tell them about our Patreon, Amy? (gasps) Patreon. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash five degrees. You can support us. It is on a uh, episode by episode basis, and you can put a cap on that. So if we put out 10 episodes and you're like, I don't want to donate to 10 episodes, you don't have to. Um, you get two perks for being a Patreon. That is, you get a list of movies we didn't watch because Kevin gives me a list of five movies and I choose one and it helps both of our anxiety levels on choices. And uh, your second perk is you get the super duper unedited version where we talk to our cat before and after the podcast. Sometimes we talk about other things. other things besides our cat, but the cat is the most common theme. Mostly, mostly our cat, uh, and that just helps pay for server costs and streaming services and and whatnot. Yeah. And we really appreciate your support. We will always be free as well, so you know we appreciate you listening. Um, did I get it all, Mister Kevin? Rate us and review us on your favorite podcatcher. Rate us and review us. That's it. That's That's all the things. Say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy.